Welcome back to the Grand Valley Church Podcast, a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope this message helps you meet Jesus and grow in faith. So we've been in a sermon series for a couple of weeks called Don't Be a Troll. And we're kind of taking a bit of a tongue-in-cheek approach to how do we have tough conversations? How do we wrestle with different difficult topics? How do we have conversations that that are those kinds where we think, you know, this might go sideways, but how do we do this well? How do we talk about things that are really important and things that matter? And because we're a church and, and because one of my assumptions is that if you're here, you either believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that having God in your life makes your life um, worth living in and really is a foundational part of who you are, or maybe you're curious about Christianity, maybe you're curious about what the Bible says about Jesus, or maybe you got dragged here with someone. And uh, in either way, you know, we believe that having conversations is something that affects all of us. How do we do this well? And so we've been taking a bit of a slant in this of saying, how do we talk about faith? How do we talk about God? How do we talk about Jesus? And how do we do that well? Because no one wants to be the troll that lives under a bridge that, that kind of accosts people as they try to just get by. But we've been, so our troll in this, he's had a name. We named him over Facebook, so his name became Trolly McTrollface. So something really cool happened with Trolly McTrollface because we started off by talking about how do you know your own bridge? How do you know where you stand, know what you believe, and know that well? And then we talked about the importance of stepping out from under your bridge and realizing the importance of connecting with people and interacting with others. And then last week we talked about how do we talk instead of fight? How do we have better conversations? Now, somehow that's been happening with Trolly McTrollface. And so this group of travelers that were coming by, he actually stepped out from under the bridge and he had a conversation with them and they invited him to visit their house. And so that's what we're talking about today. How do you visit another bridge or visit another home because what happened was really cool these travelers actually had a conversation with trolley and then they invited him to come to their place and they said oh and by the way you're going to be here on the weekend why don't you come to church with us now trolley got a little nervous about that see he's never stepped foot in a church before and so he doesn't know what to do he says i've never done this before and so what i want to invite you to do is join us on the uversion bible app and we're going to give some advice to Trolly McTrollface, and we're going to kind of poke fun at ourselves a little bit here too, and that's okay. But what are the unwritten rules or stereotypes about going to church that maybe you've heard or you've experienced? And we'll give those to Trolly McTrollface and, and help him out with this, you know, task he has of saying, I'm going to go visit these people and, and, and visit their church with them. What's that going to be like? Now, we're taking kind of a humorous approach to this, but there's a little bit of truth that underlies under it, is if we've been around a church for a while, or maybe this is something you grew up with, we often forget what it might be like for a first-time visitor stepping into a church. Because, you know, let's be honest, the church is really one of the only few places left where people gather together and we sing together like we just did. And if you're not expecting that or you're not used to that, it might be like, well, why do we do that? What's the, what's the importance of it? Or maybe there's other things about the church where you're kind of like, if, if I didn't grow up with this, that might seem a little different. And that's true because the church is something unique in the world. But when we forget what it's like to be a new visitor sometimes, we might actually unintentionally do something that actually gets people to think, yeah, that was just a weird experience. I'm not coming back, and that's not what we want. You see, there's a usual approach that churches have often taken for for 
decades and centuries and even longer that sometimes gives the church a bit of a bad reputation. And that's this, is that we believe that churches sometimes get characterized by this. They say, well, if you're coming here, well, first you have to behave. You have to act the way we want you to act. And secondly, then we need you to believe. You have to believe about Jesus, and you have to believe the same things and the same understanding we have. And then, finally, you can belong, and you can be one of us, and you can build relationships and build friends. But the truth is, this isn't actually what Scripture talks about. This isn't how churches are meant to be. And so today what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the two letters to the Corinthian church and what Paul had to say about them. And we're going to realize something together, that Paul actually had the exact opposite approach in mind. See, what Paul actually taught was that the first thing you need is you need to feel like you belong. How do we help people to belong? And then how do we have conversations about Jesus, and how do we give people that opportunity to take a step of faith and come to belief? And lastly, there's the approach of saying, how do we be transformed? So it's not just about behavior and acting the right way, but we believe that because of who Jesus is and what he did, that what God desires for us is to be in a transformed relationship, that we actually get to become who God has designed us to be. And so that's the last piece that we're going to talk about in this. But we're going to be, like I said, in the letters to the Corinthian church. And let me give you just a little bit of background before we begin. So Corinth was a major trade city in the first century, and actually a major city for a long time, and the ruins of it are still there today. But because Corinth was a trade city, there was many people from different nationalities and backgrounds all coming and going. It was a bustling hub city of the region. And what happened is as the church started to grow, as you know, many churches do, they had a lot of problems. They probably had, if we go by the letters we have, they probably had the most problems out of any church. So much so that Paul, he visited them multiple times. He sent friends of his to visit them multiple times to try and help them out and, and figure out how, does, how do we actually be a church? How do we follow Jesus together? And Paul actually wrote three letters to the Corinthian church. Now, two of them we have in the Bible. We have the first letter Paul wrote, and we have the third letter he wrote. We're missing the one in the middle, but from what Paul says about it, the middle one was basically, go back and read the first one. Like, he just said, you know, I'm not writing a full letter to you. I'm just telling you, reread what I sent you the first time and figure it out. Because this church in Corinth had an amazing amount of potential. Because they were situated, being a trade city, they had people coming and going from everywhere, and so they had an opportunity to share the hope and the love and the joy of Jesus with really the whole geographical region by the number of people that would be coming and going on a natural basis. And so Corinth is an important piece, and so we're going to start, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 9, starting at verse 19, and now let me read this to you. I'm going to give some background on what Paul's talking about as we go. Paul says this, he says, even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. And when I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law, even though I'm not subject to that law. I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. And he goes on, he says this, but when I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I don't ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. 
So there's some background we gotta, we got to give if we're going to wrestle through this passage together. And that's this whole thing. He's talking about the comparison between those who are under the Jewish law and the Gentiles. Now, if we go back a couple of weeks, you remember we talked about where the Jewish law came from, is it goes all the way back to the Old Testament when the Israelites came out of Egypt and God met with Moses and he gave them the law. And the law really had a, had a different term for it. Really, we need to understand it in terms of it was a covenant. It was a set of commandments and, and a framework for how the Israelites were supposed to live and its purpose was twofold. It was to keep their relationship with God strong. And secondly, it was to be a witness to the world around them about who God is. And so this covenant, this what they kind of commonly called the law, had this purpose. But if you weren't a Jewish person, you were considered a Gentile. And so you weren't under the law. You weren't required to follow any of the Jewish law. But there was a turmoil happening in the early church. You see, Jesus was Jewish. His disciples were all Jewish. The people that Jesus interacted with and taught and shared about who God is at the beginning were primarily Jewish. And so the early church was at first considered to just be a branch of Judaism, that it was kind of part of Judaism as a whole, and it was kind of this branch, and people didn't know how to figure it out. But what happened very quickly was that people who didn't have a Jewish background we're hearing about Jesus and we're recognizing how amazing and how true and how powerful a relationship with God is. And they were becoming Christian. And so there was this turmoil happening of the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers and saying, how do we get along when there's this big thing called the law that separates them? And so what Paul says is he says, when I'm with Jewish people, I act as a Jew. And Paul was Jewish through and through. That was his upbringing. But he says, when I'm with people who aren't Jewish, I don't follow the Jewish law. I act as they do so that I can share Christ with them. See, this turmoil, this difficulty between what do we do about this, eventually got to the point where where churches were getting angry with each other and they had to call together the first council of Jerusalem. And so they pulled church leaders in from all over the the known world of the first century. They gathered in Jerusalem and they spent time discussing and praying and figuring out what do we do about this. And the, the decision that they came down to, what they were guided by the Holy Spirit to come to, was to say that the Jewish law is not required for followers of Christ. Because as Jesus talked about, he came to fulfill that covenant. He came to fulfill it and open up a new path and a new understanding of a relationship with God. But this turmoil was still kind of happening, and it took a while for this to figure out, and there was this group that were kind of a little bit extremists, and and Paul and Peter called them the Judaizers, because they were trying to convince these early Christians, well, you need to become fully Jewish if you're going to follow Jesus the right way. And so there was turmoil around this, and it was one of the problems that the Corinthian church was wrestling with. Because remember, they're in an area that is primarily not Jewish. So Paul has this whole issue of how do you help people feel belonging when they come from very diverse and different backgrounds? How do we get them to get along and have a sense of belonging in the church together? But here's where it gets important, is that last little bit. I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. What Paul means by that, and he's using this term law because it'd be familiar to them, of saying, I obey 
the way of life that Jesus taught. That's our common point. That's our bridging connector between whatever your background is, whatever your experience is, whatever ancestry you have, whatever, however you grew up. The common point is we recognize that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus came to love us, that Jesus came to make a way open to God. That's the common point. How do we find belonging? Well, it's simple. It doesn't matter what our differences are as long as we're focusing on Jesus together. That's what Paul's trying to get to in this passage. And so ultimately, this issue the Corinthian church was facing was an issue of belonging. How do we help people from diverse backgrounds belong together as one body, as one church, as one group together? How do we accept people that are different from us? Because this is what Paul understood. If we help people feel that they belong, that's the first step to helping them explore faith in Jesus. We have to feel like we belong, like we feel secure, that we're able to have the conversations we have. Because every one of us has questions and doubts, and that's why I'm so excited about this next sermon series, The Problem of God, because we're going to tackle those head on, and I love doing that with people and walking through conversations like that. Because we have to be able to feel like we belong if we're actually going to be vulnerable and open and honest about what we believe and wrestle with the difficulties together. Helping someone feel like they belong is the first step towards helping them explore faith. See, Paul didn't ignore their history. He didn't ignore and say, well, we're just going to toss all that out. No, he said when he was with people who were Jewish, he said, I can act as though I'm under the law. I can be with them. I can be friends with them. All for this sake of sharing who Jesus is because that matters more. And see, this is why this sense of belonging was so important to the early church. See, there isn't exactly a network of hotels throughout the Mediterranean basin where Paul was traveling. See, he relied on hospitality as he traveled. And in fact, churches couldn't have buildings or gather in large places together because oftentimes they were looked on with suspicion by the, by the governments in the local areas. And so churches survived on hospitality. Whoever was in the community of faith who had the largest home, that was where church was. That's where they gathered. It was all this sense of we want to feel make people feel like they belong. And so hospitality, how we care for one another, was this hallmark that set the church apart from every other group in the, in the first century in the early church. So if Trolly McTrollface, if our troll shows up for dinner, he's probably got some strange habits. You know, he's used to living under a bridge. He's probably going to not follow what we would call just common social etiquette. But is that a problem? How do we help people from whatever background they are, whatever place they come from, how do we make people feel like they belong? Because that's the first step. Jesus told his disciples, the world's going to know who you are because of the way you show love to one another. And belonging is the first part of that. And see, Paul goes a little further on this. In fact, after he talks about how do we live like this, he goes on. So 1 Corinthians 9, 23 the next verses, Paul says this. He says, when I'm with those who are weak, I share in their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. 
See, this is the purpose. This is why belonging matters. Because we want, you know, we believe we have the hope that the whole world is looking for is found in Jesus. Why wouldn't we want to share that with as many people as we can? But the first step is belonging. And so I want to ask this question here of saying, what does it look like to be a welcoming community that helps people feel that they belong here? And maybe this will be kind of the opposite of the first question. But what does it look like to be a welcoming community? How do we help people feel like they belong? See, Paul's determination in this, his determination to share why Jesus matters was formed by his own life. See, Paul had a very different background than you would expect for someone who was one of the most prolific early church planters. Because Paul's background, his name was originally Saul. And Saul was a Pharisee. He was a member of the religious elite amongst Judaism. And he had been given a task that he took, set to with zeal that he loved dearly. And that task was to persecute and end Christianity. His task was to go from city to city and try to break up churches to destroy them and tear them apart and kill people when necessary. That was his job. And then one day something happened. Paul and his group of companions that were, you know, gearing up to go and and take on this church in Damascus, as they're on the road, Jesus shows up. And Jesus blinded Paul and said, why are you persecuting me? And he spoke to Paul and he said this line that I I hope God never says to me. He says, I'll show you how much you will suffer for my cause. See, Paul's role was inflicting suffering. And then Jesus says this, this, this word, I'll show you how much you'll suffer. But see, Paul's life was radically transformed in that moment and over the next couple days. And eventually, God restored his sight and Paul became this early church leader. And he was arrested, he was whipped, he was beaten, he was, had to sneak out of cities in the middle of the night for fear of his own life being killed. He was uh, arrested many times, he got shipwrecked, he got bit by snakes after the shipwreck. All this happened, and eventually, Paul was even executed. He was willing to die because he believed so strongly in who Jesus was and what Jesus was calling him to. See, Paul understood this for one main reason. Paul understood how his own life had been transformed and changed by Jesus. See, this is the heartbeat of it. See, when the church takes this approach of we help people feel like they belong, we give them an opportunity to to have difficult conversations and wrestle with faith and how do we believe together, the result is that we as a community of faith become transformed and we as individuals get transformed by who Jesus is, just like how Paul did. Paul's life took probably the biggest 180 that we could could see and I'm sure there's other stories and there's there's other great leaders uh, uh, throughout the church's history who had similar experiences where they were violently against the church and God showed up and showed them how much he loved them that he had a purpose for them, that there was a meaning for their life that they could take to choose. And see, when I said before about how churches often sometimes go is is we focus on behavior and we think, well, we just have to make people act the right way and, and that'll be the first step. See, this approach doesn't even take that. Instead of saying, well, we need to make people behave and act in a certain way, 
No, we need to be transformed from inside by the Holy Spirit, by Jesus working in us. That's the path that Scripture teaches. That's the path the early church followed was that it's a transformation that comes from inside. And in fact, one of the the common approaches that the church has, has tried to take over the last, well, the last hundred years especially, but even before that, was this approach of saying, well, we could address our world through legislating morality. We could address our world by trying to get laws put in place that would force our countries and force our world to act the way we think they should act because that will lead them closer to Jesus. But in fact, what history shows time and time again is that legislating morality, setting laws in place to force people to act a certain way, never actually leads people into a relationship with Jesus. In fact, it tends to set people's hearts and minds even stiffer against who God is and against experiencing God's love. See, we can't change our world and change our society by the laws we put in place. We change our world by sharing the hope of who Jesus is. And that becomes an internal transformation that shapes our hearts and shapes our communities, shapes our neighborhoods, and can shape our cities and even our countries. Because it's this transformation that happens because of a relationship with Jesus. This is why Paul focused on that so much in his letters. He talked about personal transformation, about letting God work in our hearts, work in our lives for us to become more and more like Jesus. And see, later on, we're going to jump ahead to 2 Corinthians now, the the third letter that Paul wrote to them. And he says this about the first letter. He says, I'm not sorry that I sent you that severe letter to you, even though I was sorry at first because I know it was painful for you for a little while. But now I'm glad that I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. And, and repent is a, is a Greek word that actually means to turn around and change direction, to take something and replace it with something else. So Paul says, it was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have, so you were not harmed by us in any way. And here's what he says that's fascinating. He says, for the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin, away from anything that separates us from God, and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. See, Paul knows that that first letter he sent, and if you ever read through 1 Corinthians, I'd recommend you do sometime, he's really harsh with that church. He calls out behaviors they're doing wrong. He calls out that even in how they're gathering, they're not representing God well. He calls out all their flaws and all their problems. And there's even more that he doesn't write about because he sent people, you know, he sent Titus a couple times and said, okay, Titus, you tell them it face to face. But the second time, when Paul writes this second letter, he's happy about it. He says, I'm sorry that I, sent, that I said things harshly, but here's what came out of it. Sorrow that is of God makes us want to change. Sometimes we know what it is that we need to change in our lives. You know, we don't need to share that in the U version of it. We don't need to, because all of us probably know what that is. You know, this, yeah, this is a flaw in my character that I wish was different. See, if we feel sorrow about that, if it's godly sorrow, it makes us want to change. And it makes us say, you know, I could do better. And I want to do better in this area. 
But what we're often more familiar with is worldly sorrow. And, and oftentimes that is a different word. Oftentimes we use the word shame for that because it makes us want to push our flaws deeper and hide them away and say, well, I'd rather cover up my mistakes and, and hopefully no one will discover it and, and I'll just live that way. See, a worldly sorrow doesn't actually lead to transformation because it makes us want to hide the parts of ourselves we don't like. But this is the sorrow that the Corinthian church had was a godly sorrow. A sorrow that came from recognizing that God has something better for us. That God wants to work on the deep recesses of our character that we'd rather keep hidden. God wants us to overcome that and to change it. See, transformation is rarely easy. And growing in character requires effort on our part. We have to choose. See, when the Corinthian church received that letter from Paul... They had a choice. And this is the same choice that we have in any situation, whether it's you know, with a friend, with a spouse, with your boss, if they say, hey, this is the standard, this is where we want to be, and this is where you are. Or maybe it's in a relationship where it's like, you know, you did that thing and it bothered me. You know, it hurt me when you said that. Or it hurt me when you did that. Anytime a conversation like that comes up, you have a choice. You can say, no, that, 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 that doesn't matter. That's not my problem that you got offended. Or, you know what, your standard's flawed. Your standard you're trying to get me up to, your way of thinking, well, that's not just who I am. I'm perfect the way I am. I'm not going to change. You know, there's a, there's a saying, you know, if you, if you can't just love me for how I am, well, then too bad, that's your fault. That's the first choice. That's the choice the Corinthian church could have done. They could have said, Paul, you're out to lunch. There's no way we can do those things that you're asking us to do. So forget about it. But the second choice, the second choice is that we can take a stance of humility, we could take a stance of peace and say, okay, how do I do better? How do I learn in this situation? How do I take this character flaw and how do I address it? How do I work on it? And this is what the transformation that Paul talked about, this is why it matters so much. Because that's when we give God access to our hearts and say, okay, let's work on this together. What's it going to take? What effort do I have to put in that's going to help me get closer to God? See, the greatest example of how good God is is when we hear stories and when we see examples of people's lives being changed. When Paul went from being murderous Saul, killing Christians, to the most active church planter and powerful witness for who God is. You know, at first, the disciples didn't believe Paul. They thought this was some big ploy, and they didn't want to go near Paul. In fact, it took one guy, Barnabas, who came, met with Paul, and said, this is legit. This is real. God did something crazy in you. And Barnabas brought Paul to meet the other disciples. And that's what enabled Paul to start his ministry. See, when our lives are changed, when we know, when we think about people we know who their lives were changed by God, that is the most powerful witness for who God is and what he does when we see change happening. And so we're going to shift gears for a moment. We're going to come to the the two questions I put up before, and I have a third question I'm going to ask you afterwards, but it's just a reflection question. We're not going to discuss it here openly. 
But let's shift gears to, maybe this will be a little humorous, but what are the unwritten rules or stereotypes that we would need to advise our troll about? And so if you're typing something in on the app, it'll, it'll pop up here for me on my screen in a moment. So here's one of the unwritten rules. This kind of fits into what we've said already. You know, you have to be a believer before you walk in the door, you know, and don't ask questions. Yeah, that's, that's not what we want to be. What else? Alan's got a microphone at the back there. If you, wanna, if you have something you want to add, just stick up your hand, and Al's going to bring you a mic so we can hear. But maybe, in, and we'll keep it friendly, but what's an unwritten rule? We've got one just at the back there. Churches for squares. Churches for squares, yeah. That's one I've definitely heard. What else? What are some of the unwritten rules or stereotypes about going to church? Um, That you need to have it all together before you can be involved and help. That you have to have it all together. And actually, someone just typed in, you have to be perfect in the eyes of God before you can walk in. Who's heard someone say, oh, I can't walk into a church. I'll be struck by lightning the moment I walk through the doors. You know, you've all heard that. And it's like, wait a second, come on. If God is all-powerful, God is omnipresent, why doesn't he just strike you with lightning wherever you are? Why does it matter if you walk through the doors of a church? Like, come on. It's flawed logic. Anyways, my own little kind of pet peeve on that one. What else? Any, one more? One more stereotype you've heard about attending church? How about this one? You have to turn off your brain. You know, kind of fits with that, you know, being square. You have to just turn off, off your brain and just sit and, and be there and just, just ignore whatever's happening. And that, that's how you go to church. Have you ever heard that one? It's one I've encountered a couple times. But how about this second? Let's shift this. What does it look like to be a welcoming community that helps people feel like they belong here? To let everyone know that Christians are not perfect, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, to let people know that we're not perfect. In fact, there's a, there's a book sitting in my office called No Perfect People Allowed about church. Good little book. What else? Oh, just in the middle here, Al. I think we have to remember the statement, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And also, after you've been with somebody, you don't always remember what they said, but you remember how they made you feel. And I think to keep those two thoughts in mind. Yeah, how do we, how do we help people feel welcome relationally? How do we make people feel like they're valued? That, that all ties together really well. There's one comment in here um, saying, meet people where they're at. Create an atmosphere of welcoming, friendship, acceptance. Um, Understand God's working in everyone's life, even if they're not at the same point on their faith journey that we are. How about one one more? How else can we help people feel like they belong so that they're able to encounter who Jesus is? Any more thoughts? See, there's a, the, the comment that came in there, there's one big piece that I want to, to remember is we're all on a spiritual journey. We're all at different places in our walk, but we're all trying to walk towards God. And because we have this hope in who Jesus is, we want to help people from wherever they're at 
figure out what the next step is to move forward. That's what I love about this church specifically because that's been part of our church's DNA from when we began our church 30 years ago when Grand Valley started was how do we help people take the next step from wherever they're at? And so I want to ask this third question. We're not going to discuss this one through today's meeting. I'm not even going to ask you to type anything in through the app. But here's the reflection question for us. What area of your life still needs to be transformed by Jesus. What's the piece that you have that you're saying, you know, God, I've given you all this, but this one little piece I'm just going to hang on to and I don't want you to touch yet. What's that piece? And I want to ask a second follow-up. What's stopping you from handing that to God? What's stopping you from saying, okay, God, there's this, this part of me you know, maybe, you know, one, one for me that often comes up is I, I, when I'm stressed or when I'm frustrated, my level of cynicism just shoots through the roof. And I can get really cynical and really sarcastic. It's something I just always have to be aware of, of like when I want to be sarcastic, you know, this person might not take the sarcasm as humorous. I need to, to tone that down. But what is the root of that? Why do I feel the need to become cynical when I'm stressed? That's one of those pieces for me that I still have to work on and and you have freedom to to call me out on it because now I've said it from the front. But there's a root under that somewhere that, that I probably just haven't given over to Jesus yet. So for each one of us, what's that piece that we still need to give? Because we want to be a place where people can belong. We want to be a place where people can encounter Jesus. And we want to be a place where people's lives are changed and transformed. So how do we do that together? What would it look like to be a place of radical belonging? What would it look like to be a place of radical faith? What would it look like to be a place of radical transformation? Because that is what the church is called to time and time again through Scripture. We only looked at the Corinthian church because we don't have the time to go through all the other places where Paul called churches to act and to be this way. And so that's where we're going to wrap things up. And I want to leave you with that question lingering in your mind. What piece of my life do I still have to give to Jesus? What would it look like to be this place of radical belonging, radical faith, and radical transformation? Next Sunday, we're going to start digging into this in a whole new way as we tackle this Problem of God series. Because this is a series that, that I've been longing for and and preparing for and there's some resources and things that we're going to change some things up around here a little bit as we go through this series together because we're going to spend the next month and a half a little more than that digging into these things together we're going to dig into hard questions because that's what we're called to if we want to be transformed we got to dig into hard questions so we're going to do that together so i want to invite you um, really mark it on your calendars be here next sunday you aren't going to want to miss it You know, put it on your calendar each Sunday for this Problem of God series because we're going to dig into some of these deep things that might be in our hearts that hold us back from God. So let me pray for us before we wrap up. God, you and your infinite wisdom and grace and love, somehow you still care deeply for us as flawed and as imperfect as we are. But Father, I pray that we as a community of faith, that we would that we would get a handle on how we help people belong, how we help people explore faith with you, and most of all, that we would be a place of radical transformation, that 
people, we would see our own lives and the lives of people around us being changed by your presence because that's ultimately what this is all about is knowing you more and stepping into what you have for us because our fulfillment is found in you. So Father, as we go about this week, I pray that you would, that you would nag us about these this pieces of whatever it is that we still need to give to you. Would you help us hand that over to you and let your presence and your love and your grace transform that in us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So if one of those pieces for you is prayer, I want to invite you to head straight to our Connect um, table, the, the table in the lobby, and sign up for the Hearing God course. It starts September 20th. If you want to accelerate your walk with God. You know, we've got a big fall plan between the Problem of God series here and Hearing God starting mid-September. Consider about it. Even if you're thinking about it, sign up for it. Have a great week, folks. We'll see you here next Sunday. We hope this message helped you to take the next step in your faith journey. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 11 a.m. You can find out more about us by going to mygrandvalley.ca.